Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Hank Cochran, this young man on the wall right here, was born in Humphreys County, Mississippi, in the immediate aftermath of the Great Depression. Now by his telling, he would tell you that the Depression was no aftermath at all. Hardship was a way of life. And this hardship almost, almost took him away and killed him when he was still very young because he suffered from poor nutrition, pneumonia, measles, mumps. His parents divorced. He was placed with his father, never living with his mother again. He and his father moved to Memphis where his father sought work. And when his father found work, young Hank was put into an orphanage. He ran away but was quickly retrieved. He ran away again, was quickly retrieved. He ran away again, and this resulted finally in the orphanage sending him back to Mississippi to live with his grandparents. Cochran began playing guitar, busking for a few dollars. He hitchhiked all the way to New Mexico to work on desert oil derricks. Then he hitchhiked to California to pick olives and to work in the fields. In 1960, now in his early 20s, he set off for Hollywood to become a star. He must have taken that wrong turn at Albuquerque because he ended up in Nashville instead. A fateful change, of course. He tried his hand, he said. He thought that he could write a country song. And the first song that he ever wrote, his first commercial effort, I Fall to Pieces for Patsy Cline. A number one hit in his first few weeks in Music City, USA, and Hank Cochran never looked back. Over the next 30 years, he would write and publish 600 songs, 29 of which would become top 10 hits for everyone from Patsy Cline all the way up to George Strait. He would discover Willie Nelson playing at Tootsie's Orchid Lounge in downtown Nashville and sign him to a recording contract. In true country music fashion, he would marry five times. <laughs> he would beat pancreatic cancer, be inducted into both the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Country Music Hall of Fame before he was 40, and score a half dozen songs on the Billboard Top 100 that he sang himself. And what was his most famous and most iconic and most successful signature song, you just heard it, Michael Granberry's favorite, Make the World Go Away. It has been a hit multiple times by multiple artists across multiple decades. Timmy Euro recorded it first, 1963. Ray Price released it second. Jim Reeves recorded a demo, though he died in a plane crash before it could be finished. Elvis Presley took it to gold in 1970, Donnie and Marie Osmond in 1975, Charlie McLean charted after that, and Jamie Johnson and Alison Krauss came within a hair's breadth of winning the Grammy 
with this song as late as 2012. And yet, the most recognized version of it all belongs to that country crooner, Eddie Arnold. And when I hear the song sung or played, that's who I think of first. So much success, so much staying power with a single song. 77 words, three chords, written in 15 minutes after Hank Cochran got home from watching a sad movie. The protagonist in this song makes a simple enough request of his, life, of his wife or his love interest or whoever she is. Please wash away the troubles of this world. Get the world off my back. Take away the heavy weight of it all. Be my muse, my soul whisperer. Make it all go away. For me, for us. After all, the world is the cause of all the problems being experienced in their relationship, you know. Do you remember when you loved me before the world took me astray? See, it really wasn't me. It was all those outside influences. It was them. It was all those undue, untoward, and unrighteous pressures out there that caused me to wander, to cheat, to be unfaithful. And maybe now we know why Hank Cochran had five marriages. I'm not judging, I'm just spitballing a theory here. I will say that he should have been served divorce papers over a single word of the 77 in that song. It is the word, if. I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'll make it up day by day. Well, of course you have hurt her, you philandering Nimrod. Anybody who hears that song knows that he is a cheating son of a gun. The word should be that. Come with, are you with me? I'm sorry that I hurt you. That's a little more honest. And I do love this song, I do. But don't come at her with your half-measure apologies and your blame game. It wasn't the world, it wasn't the lonely nights on the road, it wasn't the bourbon, it wasn't bad company. What you want taken away is your guilt. Please, baby, let me off the hook and let's go back to the way things used to be. Might be a more apt title to Hank Cochran's masterpiece, but that doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, does it? Nor does it lead to chart-topping success in the manufacturing of millions of dollars. Plus, that line, make the world go away by Michael Granberry and myself and so many, is so appreciated by those in love or not, by everyone in 1963, a decade ago, or 2022. Can you just make the world go away? Sometimes I put together a talk and... I sort of know that it's going to stand by itself, uh, one and done, for a particular Sunday around a particular theme, and then sometimes I'll intentionally prepare an entire series of talks on a subject, be it the latest series on the cross, a series at Lent, a series for Advent, it might be four talks, it might be twelve talks, but I know it's going somewhere, but then sometimes a single talk will unfold on me, and I can't finish in a single sermon. 
It never stopped the preachers of my youth. If they had something to tell you, if it took two hours, they would just take two hours, you know. Back in the day before mobile navigation, we all used to carry around actual maps in our cars. You remember those things? I'm not kidding, kids. Maps in your car. And uh, they started out about the size of the menu at your favorite happy hour restaurant. And then when you got done unfolding them, you know, they were the size of a refrigerator. And here's, here's a little, I found this on the internet this week. If you're ever trying to figure out how to fold one of those damn things back, this is it right here. Sometimes my talks are like those. I'm like, oh, this will be nice and neat and done. And then, oh, my God. Uh, so I started out a few weeks ago with this Psalm 32, a, song, a, 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 a talk called Getting There From Here. And it was about giving up your stubborn instincts to let God lead the way. And that was simple enough. But that led me to Proverbs 3. The map unfolded a little bit as the text showed us points further down the road confronting our own self-centeredness and our need to surrender. And then we might be able to actually hear God speak to us. We might be able to see God at work. And then we unfolded a little further and found out that we probably can't hear God speak to us or see God at work because we're so busy and we're so anxious and we're so torn apart by the world that we need to pull away from it and get quiet. And so today is hopefully, maybe, the last fold of the map. I'm not going to put it back together. I'm just going to leave it strung out in your car as you leave today. And you can do with it as you please. But it leads me here. We want God's will and way. Okay. We have to give up our own will and way. Okay, okay. We have to get quiet and actually hear God speak. Okay, okay, okay. But that is not the end of it all. The temptation is to stay in that quiet place, that quiet shell, and as crazy as this world is today, the temptation is to completely withdraw and say, I just can't take it anymore. But as sure as there is contemplation, there is action. There is stillness and listening to God, and then there is the movement and the activity informed by that stillness and that listening. God's will and way always involves engagement. It always leads us back to connect with those around us. It pulls us away from the world for the sake of clarity and sanity. And then it sends us into the world as participants and representatives, God willing, of grace and goodness. The spiritual life is breathing. It is both, it is breathing in and it is breathing out. It is serenity and it is service. It is withdrawal and it is union. It is the careful development of the inner life, of the spirit, and it is the deliberate expenditure of the outer life of service. Appropriating Hank Cochran's monumental song, you make the world go away in two different but related ways. You retreat from it and let it be, and then you re-engage it to do what bit of changing you can with it. Changing the world. Yes, I said it. Are you sa- you're saying we can change the world? I actually believe that in small ways with some conditions here. First of all, You can't change 
the whole world. God help it. You can't. You can't do anything about the big world that is out there, but you can change that part of the world that you live in. And that tiny part of the world that you touch. Two, you can't change the world by yourself. Our text today, Paul spoke extensively about how we are in this thing together. We are connected like a body. Each part, each cell, each system has its role to play. And when each of these parts does what it is supposed to do, the result is health and wellness. And three, and most important, you will never really change the world by playing the world's game. You will never change the world by trying to do it the world's way. Paul says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifices, the kind He will accept. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy, here it is, the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This was a moralizing text as I grew up with it. In a staunchly fundamentalist and evangelical system. The behavior and customs of this world was always translated as sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was the limit of Baptist imagination. And if they could have gotten rid of all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they could have just closed their doors because there would have been nothing else left to do. Well, they really didn't want to get rid of some of those things. They just wanted to monitor it. Especially when it came to sex. I was always told, oh, sex is dirty and filthy and vile. So you should save it for your wife. (laughs) Anybody? Did you get that? We wonder why... It's no mystery why church folks divorce at the same rate. If that's your attitude going in, it's going to be some hard times. And drugs were bad, unless your doctor prescribed them to help control your spells, then they were fine. And rock and roll, I never have understood all the prohibitions against music because more people find solace in music than they do at prayer meetings. So I never really did understand all of these, these prohibitions. But moralizing like that hides the fact at the danger of being misunderstood. Hides the fact there are, there are things in the world far more dangerous than sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, what about greed? What is greed doing to our world? What about selfishness? What about materialism? What about racism? What about sexism? What about gossip? What about lust for power? These things aren't on our preferred list of sins to condemn. But they exceed by miles, by light years, the damage being done by those moralizing sins that we like to talk about. My point is this. 
These are the tools of the world. The tools of the world are always related to power, to greed, to wanting, striving, taking more. It always seeks to control, to manipulate, to force. The way of Jesus, on the contrary, is to serve. His way of changing the world is a cross and a mess. Not shedding the blood of others, literally or metaphorically, but giving His own. His way of making an impact is through sacrifice and intentional weakness, not through domination and power. He teaches us to overcome evil, not by crawling down there in the gutter with the evil to fight it on its own terms, but to overcome evil with what? With good. We are so fragmented and we're so divided by so many things. <laughs> you know what we all have, you know what we all have in common? <laughs> Everybody's pissed off. I don't know any other way to say it. Everybody is mad. Everybody. They win, they're mad. They lose, they're mad. On the road, they're mad. At home, they're mad. Everybody is so angry. And like I said a couple weeks ago, that I've never met anybody who has said to me, oh, I just love being confused. I haven't met anyone in a long, long time who has said to me, isn't this world just going in the most wonderful direction? It's great. I wouldn't change a thing. I don't know where those people are. Not any of us. Right? So it doesn't matter what your affiliations or, or your values are or how you vote or where you attend church. Everybody's just sort of mad. And we're using all of our energy to be ticked off at our neighbors. All of it. We're using all of our energy just consuming the drivel that comes off of these digital screens. We're using all of our energy getting down actually with the evil to try to fight it with all the tools as the old Bible says, the old King James Bible says, with the tools of the flesh instead of living by the Spirit. Paul's solution here he says, you know, if you can serve somebody, get after it. Are you a good teacher? Get to teaching. Do you prophesy? That is, do you have faith? Then use it. Are you good at encouraging others? Well, Lord, the world is your oyster. Go get it. Because people need encouragement. Paul's response to all of this is don't get out there in the evil. Take the gifting and the grace that God has given you and go for it. That's the only way anything changes. I have often shared a story I first read in a book by Anne Lamott. And it's about an old, this old gentleman here. He's passed many years ago. A.J. Musty. And forgive me if I've oversold this story. But I can't escape it. I know I've shared it probably a hundred times. Musty was born in the Netherlands. He came to this country as a child. Immigrating with his family. Dutch reform family. 
So he attended college at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. He taught at Northwestern. He completed a seminary education. He became a Dutch Reformed pastor and later a Quaker. He was a radical for his time against war, working for civil rights, working with trade unions. He'd probably be labeled as woke today, whatever that might mean to whoever is using that word. And he, uh, they called him a peace agitator. What a great phrase. Peace agitator. He just wouldn't let it alone. And he would often say that it's easy to be against war. Everybody's against war. But what we won't do is seek out why those wars are being fought. And work in that direction. He was in his 80s by the time of the Vietnam War. And every night he could be found in our nation's capital holding a candle outside of Congress or at the White House or some state building calling for an end of the war. And one rainy night a reporter asked him, Reverend Musty, you must know that you're not going to change anything about any policy in this country by coming out here and lighting a candle. And Musty answered like this, I don't do this to change a policy or to change the world. I do this to keep the world from changing me. The easiest path to take is to simply curse the darkness. To rage, rage, rage against the dying of the light. We would make the world go away by damning it all on one hand or by force trying to shape it into our image on the other. But the only way to make it go away is by changing it. And the only way to change it is by loving service in the small ways that each of us have been gifted to serve. So, how will you use your non-renewable time and your non-renewable energy? Conserving it, hoarding it, a recluse from the world, having surrendered our society to whatever forces will prevail, or burning it up in vexation and bitterness and casting blame as rightful as it may be in all directions? Or will you find, by quiet reflection and regular retreat, the energy and the spirit to serve others as Christ has served us. And that is the choice for each of us to make.